Happy Sabbath. The Bible is God's word. It is both timeless and timely. Timeless because it reveals truth applicable to all generations. And timely because when we prayerfully study the Bible, the Holy Spirit reveals truth applicable to us in that moment. Uh, if it's okay with you, I'm going to pray one more time before I start. Dear Heavenly Father, come before you this moment. Please fill us with your spirit. Speak through me. Block from my mind anything that you don't want me to say. And put your words in me for your people. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled my sermon, A Convenient Time. How many decisions do a person make each day? For example, and we make many decisions. Uh, what TV network should I wear? Should I watch? Which channel? Whether Netflix, Hulu, cable? What should I wear to church today? Which route do I take to work? No, do I like a friend's post on Facebook? You get the idea. We make these decisions every day. Just how many choices do we make each day? Uh, researchers at Cornell University did a study, and they estimate each person makes about 226 decisions on food alone. When I should eat, what I should eat, you know, what I should have for snack. Each day, 226. Yeah. It is estimated that average adults makes about 35,000 remotely conscious decisions each day. Each decision, of course, carries certain consequences with it, both good and bad. Um, today we're going to be studying, mostly in the book of Acts, about decisions made by two Roman citizens who had the gospel preached to them. Both times Paul was a prisoner, they both heard the word, similar messages, I can imagine. Both, the Bible says, they trembled or were afraid after hearing it, but reacted differently. And I'm talking about uh, Governor Felix and the Philippian jailer. So we're going to be reading Acts 24. Paul, in his 35-year ministry, was arrested three times. We're going to be focusing on two of these times. And each time, he never ceased to be Paul. So when Paul, during his conversion experience, Jesus said of him to Ananias, he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. In fulfillment of this commission given to Paul by Jesus, he traveled to many large cities around his time and spread messages to the, mostly the Gentiles. Uh, he was well known to thousands in many cities, including Jews who were not really happy with the work he was doing. Uh, with the Jews accustomed to the message that they were only God's children, they were God's only children, uh, 
they were unwilling to permit the despised Gentiles to share the privileges which had hitherto been exclusively regarded as their, as their own. So they had a lot of hatred against Paul, and then false messages had been spread around about Paul's work. So Paul, on his final visit to Jerusalem, decided to go into the temple. And as he was in the temple, he was recognized by some Jews from Asia. And then they said, yeah, this is the guy, this is the Paul who has been going about preaching to the Gentiles and spreading false messages about our faith. Of course, it was a lie. They also accused Paul of bringing a Gentile into the temple, uh, which was also not true, because there was no temple around. There was no Gentile around when Paul was arrested. Uh, earlier in the day, they had seen Paul with a Gentile, a Greek, in the city. So they assumed he had brought him to the temple. So they laid their hands on Paul, brought him out of the temple, and beat him, almost planning to kill him. But by God's intervention, he was saved by a Roman commander, Lysias of Jerusalem, and finally transferred to Caesarea, where the governor was. So if you want to go with me, if you are there in Acts 24, I want to start off with verse 21. So Paul has now been transferred to Caesarea in the custody of Governor Felix, who was the governor of Judea. And he had a trial where the Jewish leaders came and laid their charges or accusations against Paul. And I'm going to sum up Paul's response during the trial. In Acts 24, verse 21, Paul, the Bible says, these are the words of Paul, unless it is for this state, one statement which I cried out, standing among them, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. Well, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, believed in the resurrection of the dead. So it was not just any resurrection of the dead that the Jews were afraid of or worried of. It was the resurrection of this one person, Jesus Christ. Uh, so this claim, Jesus in John eleven twenty five 25 said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, will live. This resurrection claim is a declaration of power over death, a claim nobody on earth has ever made, a clearest assertion of Christ's divinity, and it's on this rock that the Christian church was founded. So Jesus went into the domain of death, the most feared enemy of mankind, break his bands and come back as a conqueror over death, and now offers eternal life to whoever believes him. Now the Jewish leaders tried so hard to bury the news of Christ's resurrection, but they could not, because that is the among all the religions, there's been no founder of religion who has claimed to resurrect from the dead. That puts the Christian faith above any others. So it was the devil's intention to bury this idea in news of resurrection, and that's why the Christians were hunted so much. I know many of us have been mourning the past few weeks of the passing of our sister, and death, especially whether it's unexpected or expected, it shakes us to the core. Pain is inescapable. Death was not original plan of God. And the one reason why it's so hard to accept and understand because it's completely out of step with the life that God planned for this world. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul calls death the enemy, the enemy of everything that is good and beautiful. 
But God gives us hope. We are not alone. Even as we mourn, he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You are not alone if you are mourning today or if you are mourning the past few weeks. Our Savior Jesus has another name, Emmanuel, God with us. We have, you have a powerful brother and ally and friend who stands beside you. What do you say? Right, I just wanted to say this because of the week we've had. Um, so God, Felix, after hearing this message, uh, Paul's response to the trial, he was really impacted. He was moved, really moved. So he, had, he called for a private audience with Paul. He was the governor, like I said, of Judea between 52 AD and 50, between 52 and 58 AD. And according to Tacitus, who was a Roman historian, he, he said of Governor Felix, in practice of all kinds of lust and cruelty, he exercised the power of a king with the temper of a slave. So he called, Acts, we'll pick up from Acts 24, verse 24 to 25. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jew, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he, Paul, reasoned about righteousness and self-control and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go, your, go away for now, for when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. When I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. I don't know if anybody knows the story of Humphrey the Hippo. He, he was an internet sensation some time ago. Uh, he was rescued, and they intended to send him to the wildlife reserve. But there was a farmer in South Africa called Morius Els who said, no, I'm going to make this animal my pet. Well, the hippo is one of the most dangerous animals in Africa. It, it kills more humans than a lion. So he said, no, this animal cannot be tamed. Marius, you are flirting with danger. Let's, he said, no, I bought him. I'm going to keep him. So one morning, there was this news article. A farmer in South Africa had been killed by his pet, the hippo, after repeated warnings that it was a wild animal and could never be tamed. Uh, yeah, he had been bitten and mauled to death, flirting with danger. Brothers and sisters, you know where I'm driving at? The uh, Bible talks about the work of the Holy Spirit in John 16:18. that when he comes, he conveys the world also of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And I want us to focus on these items, sin, righteousness, and judgment. What is righteousness? First, John 5, 17. The Bible says, all, sin is un all unrighteousness is sin, and there is not a sin leading to death. So unrighteousness is sin. We let the Bible speak for itself. What is sin? There's only one definition of sin in the Bible, and that's First John 3, 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness is the disregard of God's law. Therefore, sin is the disregard of God's law. And righteousness, therefore, is sin, and it's a disregard of God's law. Righteousness 
is the opposite. It's obedience. Righteousness by faith, obedience, true living by every word of God. So I can imagine righteousness when Paul spoke to him of righteousness. Paul revealed to Felix Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's this favorite story I like in the Bible in Zechariah 3 where Zechariah had a vision of Ananias the high priest and Satan standing by his side accusing him. And these were the words of God. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments. And to him he said, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. That is the righteousness of Christ. When we come to Christ, he takes away our filthy garments, removes them, and gives us new righteousness, his own garments. Friends and sisters, what do we have to do? All we have to do is yield. Sin cannot be tamed, cannot be trifled with. And some of us are having pet sins that we justify each day, and we are okay with it. That might be a hippo. Don't let it kill you. Anything that separates us from God, sin, cannot be petted with. Romans 6, 14 says, Sin shall have no dominion over you. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Now is the day of salvation. Now, not tomorrow. Don't know how long you will live. Don't know if you'll be alive tomorrow. Now is the time of salvation. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you have been struggling with something. It's like, how can I let this go? The Bible says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his own good pleasure. Having the idea that you want to submit to God, that alone comes from God. Even that comes from God. This is a powerful statement. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. There is no sin that you cannot defeat by God's grace. Give yourself to God, cooperate with God, you have infinite resources at your disposal. Infinite. If the sinner responds to the quickening influence of the Spirit, he will be brought to repentance and aroused to the importance of obeying divine requirements. Obedience through living by every word of God. Not doing it on your own strength, by cooperating with God. And letting the Holy Spirit come in you and live within you. That's righteousness by faith. The Bible says Paul also spoke to him about judgment. And this is what Felix had. We all know the history of Felix. Based on the uh, historian's account. He heard this message. He began to tremble. And he had to make a decision. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There is this parable of the wedding feast, where Jesus likened the kingdom of heaven to this wedding feast, where a king sent out servants to go invite people in the highways after his injury. Invitation had been rejected so many times. Said, bring everybody to this wedding feast. 
But when the, the time for wedding came, this is what the Bible says in Matthew 2, 22, 11, and 12. But when the king came into the see the guest, he saw a, a man there who did not have on the wedding garments. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Very sad. The wedding garments, you don't have to buy. That's the righteousness of Christ. But at the judgment seat, the wedding garments are going to be inspected. What we call the investigative judgment. That's the inspection of the righteousness of God that we do not work for. That is free to us. All we have to do is just accept it. Accept God's righteousness. Christ's righteousness. Because you don't want to be in this situation when we get to the, the judgment and you have your own filthy clothes. Because you have declined the righteousness of Christ. This will be a sad, sad day. First Peter 4, 17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will the end be for those who do not want to obey the gospel of God? I'm not, this message is not for you to be afraid or tremble. But you can imagine why Felix trembled after hearing these messages. It's very hard. But it's the truth. Instead of having permitting his convictions to lead him to repentance, he sought to dismiss these unwelcome reflections. The interview with Paul was cut short. Go thy way for this time. He said, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He never had another time. So the words of prophecy from Acts of Apostles, page 427. A ray of light from heaven had been permitted to shine upon Felix. When Paul reasoned with him concerning righteousness, temperance, and the judgment to come, this was his heaven-sent opportunity to see and forsake his sins. But he said to the messenger, Go thy way for this time when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He had slighted his last offer of mercy. Never was he to receive another call from God. Mercy. You don't know when your last offer of mercy will be. Now is the day of salvation. Now, yield to the Holy Spirit. There's no need to die with your pet sins. God loves you so much. Yield. And then we have the Philippian jailer, where Paul was also in prison another time for casting out demons from a girl and the owners of this girl were so mad because they, that was their source of income. Their girl had a spirit of divination. So it was like a witch. And Paul cast an evil spirit out. So they were so mad, they beat him. They took him to the court and they put him in jail. And they said, keep these guys overnight to the jailer. Acts 16, if you can turn your Bibles with me. We're going to spend some time. Acts 16, come back to 24. So as Paul was in jail, the Bible says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaking, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loose. There's power in prayer. 
Sometimes when you're going through, you are assailed by trials and tribulation from all sides. You might not have your physical liberty taken from you like Paul. It might be emotional liberty, psychological liberty, your health. Pray. When you feel least like praying, that's when you should pray the most. The greatest victories in the book prayer, the greatest victories to the church of Christ or to the individual Christian are not those that are gained by talent or education, by wealth or the favor of men. They are those victories that are gained in the audience chamber with God when earnest, agonizing faith lays hold upon the mighty arm of power. There might come a day some of us might be persecuted for our faith, just like Paul. But we have the lessons of Paul to learn from. Prayer answers problems. So verse 29, this, Philippian, this jailer woke up and noticed that the doors of the prison were open. And he realized, oh my God, I'm dead. He assumed that everybody had escaped. So he was about to kill himself. And then Paul said, no, do not, do your, do not hurt yourself. We are here. He was so surprised that the Bible says, he, then he called for a light and ran in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That very night, he and his family were baptized. His response was, what shall I do to be saved? That should be the response of everyone who has. When we circumstances or situations convict us, the Holy Spirit convicts us, just yield to the Holy Spirit. Yield. Uh, before Christ, this word euangelion is uh, good news or good announcement. You means good, angelion is a Greek word, and that was the, what the gospel writers chose to represent the word of God or the gospel. Before Christ, it was well known for centuries, but was not in common use. Evangelion did not refer to news that was just good, but also the circumstance in which it arrived. The background was one of hopeless devastation and utter ruin against which the news came bringing with it a complete reversal of mood, spirit, and hope. So, for example, uh, you go, if, if you go to battle against an army, that's vastly superior in number and cruel. Vastly superior. There's no hope for victory. No hope. There appear little chance of success, which means defeat meant in those days, plunder, death, slavery, rape. There was little chance of success. And then a watchman at the wall sees a messenger coming from the battlefield and signaling victory. So despair, impending despair and death has been transformed to triumphant celebration, Evangelion, good news. Then this message is just transmitted from roof to roof by the watchman. Watchman yells, Evangelion, Evangelion, good news. Because without it, it's death and it's devastation. Also in Alexandra, 
in ancient times, they did not have very many agricultural resources. So they depended solely on grain brought by ships from Phoenicia, which is now Lebanon. So you can imagine, as the supplies in the barrel dwindled and the specter of starvation reared its ugly head, all eyes turned to the sea. So as the last rations of grain was being given out, you have people climb to the highest points they can see and then cast their eyes on the watery horizon, waiting for, to see some hope. Grain is going down. Starvation is upon us. And then suddenly, someone sees the mast of the ship over the horizon and stands out, Evangelion, Evangelion, good news. So Evangelion is not, was not a commonly used word. It was used in certain circumstances only. It's good news not because it's good, but without it, it's devastation and death. That's why the New Testament writers chose this word as a synopsis of the message about Jesus. How good is the good news to you? How good is the gospel, Evangelion? I think sometimes we don't see it because we have become the the Laodicean church where we are rich and we feel like we don't need anything. That's what the words of God says to Laodicean church. I know your works, that you are neither hot or cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. Because if you are hot, you're going to take an action and take the temperature down. If you are cold, you're going to take an action and put on more jackets. But if you are neither hot or cold, you don't know the state in which you are in. So this message said, close to the city of Laodicea was a hot spring of the Hierapolis. Hot water from the spring was carried by an aqueduct to the city. And by the time it reached the city, it was lukewarm. So lukewarm was, the, was familiar to Laodiceans and fittingly characterized their spiritual condition. Lukewarm Christianity results in half-hearted commitment to Christ. This kind of Christianity looks good on the outside, but inside it is proud, selfish, and rebellious. The Laodicean church is the church of the end time. That is us. This is our actual state. And this is the words of God to the Laodicean church, which is us. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire, which is faith that works by love, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that your, the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. This white garment that God wants this church to have is the righteousness of Christ. And we can't have the righteousness of Christ unless we yield to the Holy Spirit. And I serve that we may see this Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, what we need as Laodicean Church is not some new truth, because we know the truth, but a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ. A fresh, real experience with Christ. That's what we need. Evangelion, we have the good news. And we have to understand that without this, Evangelion is utter devastation and despair. And we are lost. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Are you willing to surrender today? If you are, please uh, bow your head with me to pray.
Yeah, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Now, sometimes we do not really appreciate, understand your sacrifice and how cheap it is for us to accept you. All we have to do is yield. But we may be having some pet sins in our lives that we are so comfortable with that we have justified. And that we are so close to committing unpardonable sin. Please forgive us, Lord. And help us yield to you. Yield our wills, yield our desires, and yield our thoughts. That when you come again, we'll be among the people who say, you good and faithful servant. Please be with us. And I work with you. It's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.